morning, everyone. We've got two readings uh, from Matthew and then over into Philippians. So our Matthew reading is from chapter 28, and we'll be going to verses 16 to 20, and that's page 1000. So starting in Matthew. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Flipping over into Philippians, we're doing verse 1 to 27 through to 2 verse 18 on the screen behind me or page 1179. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that, you, that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like scars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, good morning again, uh, everyone. 
I don't know about you, it feels like we've covered a bit of ground uh, quite quickly this morning in our service. I thought I might uh, just take the moment to, to pray and help focus us in as we hear and consider God's word together. Will you pray with me? Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us and uh, we pray that the same spirit that caused these words to be written down as they are might be powerfully at work amongst all of us as we read and consider your word to us and the mission uh, that you've called us to. Uh, We just uh, pray uh, for this uh, series that uh, you might continue to fan into flame that passion uh, for the mission you've given your church here on earth today and that we as a local church may play our part uh, in it well for your glory and uh, for the sake of many coming to hear the wonderful news of Jesus' life, death and resurrection that indeed while our sins are many, your mercy is more and you offer it to us all. Please be at work uh, in us to those ends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when it comes to inviting people on a mission, uh, for me, 20th century Antarctic explorer Ernest Shackleton is where it's at. Uh, Here's an advertisement that he put in the paper. It's in your leaflets and up on screen too. Thanks, Zach. This is what he put out in the paper. He said, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in event of success. (laughs) Over 5,000 men applied to go to Antarctica with him in response to that ad. And you can tell from the job ad that not many would have been considering it a cruise vacation. Uh, As we've opened our Bible together over the last two weeks, amidst what we've been learning from God's Word, I've put it to you in various ways that the context of our mission with Jesus is changing. Uh, Same good news about Jesus, different context. Uh, In the West and here in Australia, there is a much stronger and more vocal opposition to the message of Jesus online, in government, at work, in many schools. And social commentators have begun to explore and explain that this shift isn't just a passing fad, but a fundamental shift in how our society works. Uh, Steve McAlpine, in a book I recommended in your study guides, uh, summarises this growing consensus like this. He said, Much of the pre-Christian world could be described as first culture, a world where there were many competing and warring impersonal gods, where their uh, allegiances were tribal. Uh, They weren't sort of evangelistic, seeking to convince others of these things. They pretty much kept to their own patch. Some cultures today uh, are still like this in parts of Asia, South America and Africa, worshipping ancestors, nature and many gods. And then second culture arose, the rise of the one God faiths of Judaism, Christianity and Islam that were evangelistic, sort of going out there and sharing their message. Uh, Christianity, for example, has reached out and broken down tribal and ethnic barriers uh, and uh, brought about a new recognition valuing uh, of the individual and men and women. And in many places, it kind of swept that first culture away. Over the last 25 years, however, what people are now calling third culture has been emerging, a worldview that firmly rejects the idea that there's anything beyond us exists at all. It rejects wholeheartedly the big picture storylines that 
Christianity and the One God religions, along with Buddhism, Hinduism, have provided for people to understand our world with. Kind of, you can think about it this way, third culture has no belief in a vertical relationship with something bigger than us, it only recognises the horizontal. Societal relationships that we construct through politics and increasingly the tools of technology, social media, advertising, Netflix, curated news feeds and more, we're now kind of discipled by our new tech world 24-7 and told that our greatest goal is to replace all outside rules with personal freedom and expression. To replace sacrifice for the sake of a common goal with a breaking free to pursue our personal life goals and technology allows this case to be put before us with a dazzling array of images, videos and blogs. I've actually been talking about this in far more detail with our youth at our Youth Life Series, which concludes tonight. Uh, Thanks so much for all of those who have been praying for that. I've actually been super encouraged by the maturity and enthusiasm our youth have shown in this series, both in the questions they're asking and their boldness in inviting their friends along. So we'd love your continued prayer that we'd have a great last night together tonight. Uh, I wanted to kind of share in longer form some of these stories with our youth because they are very much at the forefront of this change on the front line of this clash of cultures, growing up in a world where increasingly uh, those who hold on to the ideas of a common good, compromise, personal sacrifice and belief in something beyond ourselves like Christians do, and they're growing up in a world where it's no longer just sort of an okay thing to ignore our Christian belief, but rather increasingly our world is saying that these voices need to be silenced and marginalised. Because part of the success of this new storyline that's emerging in our world is based on the success of actively suppressing dissenting voices. As a friend from the Middle East uh, said to me just a few weeks ago, he says, I have more freedom to talk about Jesus and to open the Bible with someone in a public setting there than Christians do in Victoria. I really do recommend the Being the Bad Guys book from Steve McAlpine. It was Christian Book of the Year for 2021 uh, for a reason. Uh, The idea was that we had a bookstall up and running through this mission series with all those books in the back. It has been somewhat delayed uh, by our book provider, but I'm told it'll be uh, here uh, for next Sunday, so we'll have it for a couple more Sundays. And I'd really recommend reading a book like that or some of the ones suggested. Uh, because it's a super helpful read of some of these broader issues going on in our culture. But even with just a brief introduction like I've done today, it's easy to feel a little intimidated. How do we as a church faithfully get on with the mission Jesus has called us to together in such a rapidly changing world? Where do we find hope, strength, comfort, resolve and the grace for this mission in what, for us, is an increasingly hostile world. For that, of course, we turn to God's Word, and you'll find an outline of where we're going with our two readings that we just heard before. And we begin with, I thought, good to start with, Jesus' great mission statement for his church, often referred to as the Great Commission from Matthew 28. As Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, firstly, and it's not a complicated point, it makes pretty clear that mission is the primary task of the church. And that once someone is a disciple of Jesus, growth in Christian maturity, knowledge and obedience to God are how the Christian life continues. Yet the healthy church always shapes all that it does by the mission Jesus has given us. I think uh, this is an analogy, I use it, the uh, Belong course that Rod mentioned before to help people new to us understand our church, that I think any and every church needs to see itself as a missional rescue ship because without a clear mission, it can just become a cruise ship. If we're on a missional rescue ship, heading, uh, coming into the harbour, dropping anchor uh, in a foreign land like, say, Indonesia after the Boxing Day tsunami, we all get that it's very different to pulling into a Greek island on a holiday cruise ship because of the mission and the purpose for which that ship is there. So at our welcoming course at Kernel Lake Gardens, I always say, and it makes the rest of the staff team freak out, but I always say, I'd rather actually have 100 people that know we're on a mission or rescue ship than 150 people with 50 thinking it's a cruise ship and sitting on banana lounges. Because not only do cruise passengers not help, they're often quite demanding and bring extra work distracting us from our mission. Those banana lounges get in the way. So if you think the Christian life is about being on a cruise ship, we'll smile and gently encourage you to get off the banana lounge for a few months, but the day will come where I'll take out my knife and pop your banana lounge because Jesus has called us to mission because we as a church are a missional rescue ship. Our mission shapes each part of what we do and it applies to everything. So I tried to think of a kind of a non-standard way to sort of example to explain this. So take our knowledge of God's word, for example, in a church uh, network that really prizes and values that. Some Christians are particularly gifted at and love learning things about the Bible, able to engage in complex theological discussions and deep thought. And that's a great thing if that is used in service of the mission, to keep us on the right track, to expertly use God's word to heal the injured, to encourage us on our mission. It's a huge blessing to have them if they use that gift in service of the mission that we've been called to. However, some people love learning new things on cruise ships too. Like the person who learns a language just for fun on holiday. I don't quite understand that myself. But we don't want Christians who see Bible knowledge as an end in itself, just hoping there's going to be a Bible trivia night on our cruise ship. (laughs) No, everything we do is shaped by our mission. Every team on the ship works together with the purpose of serving our common given by Jesus' goal. And our expectations are realistic too. Our captain, Jesus, has been quite clear with us that we're to expect some rough conditions. As we consider our present challenges, remember it was Jesus who first said to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
John 15, verse 18. And of course, the good news that Jesus brought was that his death on the cross for sin lovingly reconciles anyone to God who comes to him. So kind of embedded in the very kind of gospel good news message itself is a picture of cost and sacrifice now for a worthy and most glorious future goal. So for us today, if you're here today and consider yourself a follower of Jesus, so as a realisation kind of slowly dawns on us this day that increased suffering and persecution are coming our way here in little old Australia after a period of relative peace in the Western world, we should not be surprised. Jesus warned us of it. His disciples experienced it. Scripture testifies to us, cover to cover, that this will be the norm over and over again. And Christians in most places around the world experience it every day. Now, that baton of suffering is passing to us. Yet, we should not be afraid. While Jesus' call to mission is a little bit more kind of Shackleton-like than we may have appreciated, there are some pretty important differences between Shackleton and Jesus. Jesus is not only judge, redeemer, the perfect sacrifice, willingly offering himself for our sins as our most wonderful saviour. There is no safe return doubtful kind of clause to Jesus' call. He's Lord of all creation. His victory is sure. And he's the one who says to us, as he gives us this great call, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As Jesus calls us to this great task together, uh, and I chose um, our second reading from Philippians because it explains our mission together with beautiful clarity, hope, and dare I say rejoicing. Um, Let's kind of look at it together with this sort of Shackleton-like call from Jesus uh, with a very different assurance at the end. So it's our second reading today uh, that Leah brought to us from Philippians 1, starting at verse 27. And if we're going to, you know, do a series on mission and how church should think about that, this is my favourite verse in the entire New Testament, so we were always going to end up here. (laughs) I've often said to our church that if I could choose one verse, that if it's true of Trinity Church Kernelite Gardens then it would be this one, as the Apostle Paul says, Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the sake of the gospel. Paul's yearning for the Philippian church is one that I'd love for you to hold on to and strive towards together as a church well beyond my time here. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of a group of people united together by the Spirit of God standing firm together as one, contending for the faith of the gospel. The most well-drilled, team-driven missional rescue ship there is. I love this passage too because it's both aspirational and realistic with a Shackleton-like expectation setting clause in it. Verse 28 assumes that we will face frightening opposition, yet affirms those who oppose Jesus will not triumph 
but that God wins and will personally see to it that each member of his family is secure. And it goes a step further, letting us know not only this is a truth on what we should expect, but that suffering for Jesus isn't just a kind of unavoidable consequence of being on Team Jesus, oh well. No, no, God says, well, firstly, God's not indifferent to our suffering, nor has he lost control. Verse 29 says, actually, to the church, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Suffering for the gospel with our victory sure is part of God's plan for us. It's an honour to suffer for our Lord who suffered for us. It's not just an unavoidable, whoops, consequence. God's saying, I've granted this important thing for you to suffer together for the Lord who suffered for you. Our world at present is discipling us to live in the moment, avoiding pain in any way possible, rejecting any call to sacrifice, to suffer for the sake of another, because, of course, our world's increasing highest value is the kind of authentic self. Yet only a generation ago, we got the idea that it's a good thing to suffer now for glory later that we sacrificed personally for the sake of the common good. Governments used to know that. Our veterans knew it. Even our sporting teams knew it. American football coach, great, Vince Lombardi, always pull this quote out every time uh, we have something uh, big on mission, one of my favourites, said something beautiful about life, not just sports saying this. He said, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour The greatest fulfilment of all that he holds dear is that moment where he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. Suffer now for a great glory later. It was how Jesus lived his life. It's why he went to the cross out of great love for you and for me. And he's called his church to it. It's been granted to us that we might find our finest hour exhausted, victorious with him in the new heavens and the new earth, having given ourselves to the greatest cause there is. Because we are not called as Christians to a life of ease, we are called to actively suffer for our Lord Jesus Christ and participate in the most loving, unified team there is. As the Apostle Paul then says to this church in verses, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, therefore, after giving a sort of a great outline of Christ doing this for us, he says, therefore, if, any encour- if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being of one spirit and of one mind. And then, sorry, he gives a great example of Christ doing that for us. Paul sees great joy in calling his church to this. Instead of vainly pursuing selfish ambition, God calls his church through the Apostle Paul to do something else entirely. A community full of people who look look not to their own interests first, 
but firstly to the interests of others, with humility valuing each other first, which is a high calling, yet we follow our Lord and Saviour Jesus who loved us that way first, who didn't grasp onto his divine nature, rather humbled himself to come to this world as a servant. Verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I asked my friend uh, from the Middle East that I've referred to a few times in this series why he thought the church was growing so fast there. As I said, he joined a church in 2009 in the Middle East of all places where you can't, by law, kind of share about Jesus and the church has gone from about 100 people in a hotel room to 4,500. I asked him why he thinks the gospel is growing so fast there. And he says, well, God does what he does and when he wants to do it, and there'll always be an element of mystery in such things. Yet he said, humanly speaking, people from all around the world are coming to the region looking to make their fortune. And they're away from the usual support networks and family and friends. And the way business goes there is it's very transactional. People only do things to get something from you. It's kind of the pinnacle of the dog-eat-dog world where everyone's striving to get ahead. Everyone's striving to get an advantage. And in this context, they start to bump into Christians in the workplace who are actually prepared to invest in others, to love people and to sacrifice for them, to see them grow, who put others' needs before their own, who don't sort of take any glory as you know a new deal kind of comes through, but distribute that glory and build and lift up others on their team. And he says the contrast is so startling. People find after a few years that wealth does not provide what they're looking for. It promises so much, but the reality is harsh. It's empty. Its pleasures are short-lived. But then they're invited to church and then to someone's home for a meal, and then they open God's word together. And this community of grace, kindness... And other person's centeredness shines so brightly against perhaps the darkest backdrop of selfish pursuit. So to us, I share this story to encourage you as our world gets a little darker, a little more self-centered as if we thought that were possible. As politics becomes more polarized, self-righteous and angry, as the promises of year-on-year growth in our wealth falter. I'm actually really quite positive on what this will mean for our mission. As genuine and real Christian community will shine more brightly. The Apostle Paul lived in a very different yet more intimidating times where the level of public opposition to the gospel was higher. And he says to the church then and equally to us, keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. For starting verse 13 of chapter 2, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you might be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. 
there really is nothing better than being part of a grace-driven community with all its faults and flaws, which is why we need grace with each other as we understand God showing that grace to us. But there's nothing better than being part of a grace-driven community as we hold on to God's word and are led by Jesus on the mission he's given us. It's a misstep to think that we need to create better community then we'll be placed to step out more boldly on mission. I would say, nah, it's the wrong way around. Rather, being on mission, striving together as one, modelling our relationships with one another on how Jesus loved us, reaching out with the gospel, rejoicing uh, as the gospel creates the best type of community known to this world, which, of course, as I say, it is aspirational, but what a great calling. This is what this passage is calling us to. That community that we build on mission together is itself a great mission weapon. And so the wheel spins faster and faster as we engage on mission together. I've been quite open in this series and, you know, me as the person ultimately responsible, I'm majorly critiquing myself on this more so than you, but I think at Colonel Lightguards and Tonsley, we have lost a little bit of our step in that mission spark in recent years. And the reason this series is here is that I want to rekindle the fire Years ago, we had more of that spark, more crazy ideas that we you know, tried to dare to do. One, I think perhaps one of my craziest was uh, the wood oven pizza night we did where we letterbox dropped the entire suburb in the first week that school went back. We letterbox dropped the whole area and said, we will deliver two wood oven pizzas to your house free or you can come down to the RSL and uh, enjoy them with us. And we did an open invite for people to join our church family and to love, uh, we did it too, to love the local community at a pretty busy time of year. And in an hour and 40 minutes, this photo up on screen you can see, uh, we did, we've got video if you like, I can send that around in the uh, weekly email. But in an hour and 40 minutes, we did 140 wood oven pizzas. That's one every 40 seconds. It was an epic logistical challenge. I don't usually get overwhelmed by logistics. That was the one time in a ten and a half year history I was overwhelmed. But we picked up four local families from that day and in the months that followed. But more importantly, it gave our church families loads of opportunities and to put on show to our community that we're a church family that loved one another and loved them and that we're passionate about Jesus. Uh, Mandy, who's in the photo, sorry, Zach, just go back. Mandy's in the photo on uh, the right-hand uh, side there, said her best conversation was with a friend who came along and said, I'm not looking into religion at the moment, but if I was, I would definitely join a church like yours. As she was blown away, not only by the generosity, but how she saw people, young and old, working together under some pretty extreme pressure with love, kindness, grace and great unity. So where does all this land for us as we head into what I would call somewhat of a rebuilding phase when it comes to reaching out with the gospel? Here's just a handful of points of applications. I'll try and be brief. I could clearly keep talking for the next six hours on this, but I won't. <laughs> but uh, partly to kind of wrap in what we've learned from God's word today and over the last two weeks. First point, of course, everything we, need, we do needs to be shaped by our mission. It's our primary given by Jesus purpose as a church to bring glory to God. If you were to add up 
all the energy and time that each one of you have in the week to serve Jesus with, amongst everything else you have to do in life, if you were to add up all our staff teams times two, we could spend it five times over making the perfect, perfect kids program or on pastoral care or writing better Bible studies and never have room for thinking, praying and being on mission. As such, I want to keep pursuing a kind of a theory, well, I've stolen it from the medical world, of minimum effective dose. And in the medical world, doctors use that uh, to talk about when they're prescribing medicine because they're always after the minimum effective dose to get the right outcome. Kids programs, pastoral care, Bible studies are all important, but don't weigh our church family down with hefty expectations because this is not a cruise ship, it's a missional rescue ship. We want to do those things as well as they need to be done to have a healthy team, but real community that you will always remember comes from focusing on our mission. Secondly, because there's lots of things that need to be done uh, to keep the team healthy for mission, I want to encourage you to start or keep serving Jesus by taking responsibility for an aspect of our church life together. I know Katie, who was up here before, who's responsible for our teams, is really encouraged by many of our leaders and their teams who give themselves so lovingly to different aspects of church life and take responsibility for just a part of it. Keep going. It makes a massive difference for the mission to have people taking responsibility for one another and for our ministries. Our world is constantly discipling us to avoid taking responsibility for things. Much easier if I just ask someone to tell me what to do. Taking responsibility is a whole new thing. Our world is telling us to avoid responsibility for things that conflict with our own personal freedom or any call to sacrifice. But Jesus calls us Shackleton-like to ongoing sustainable sacrifice now for the immense joy of glory later in the new world. Uh, Third, just briefly, uh, we tried to have some very concrete steps that people could take coming out of the series. So uh, as Rod has already mentioned, we've got the Engage Work Faith Training, two nights here at the RSL. We'd love to cancel our growth groups and have a great group of people along uh, for that. Uh, But also, too, in terms of having good events to invite people to, I was thinking, I should do that before I go on long service leave. But then I saw the Engage Work Faith one, my minimum effective dose thing kicked in. I thought, let's try and rally some more people around that too. Zach, you might want to put the graphic up on screen. Uh, As Craig was here last week, he told us about their next event in the 17th of October. And I really liked the gospel logic of it, of explaining through food to people that there's just this beautiful picture of uh, a great banquet that God is calling us all to, uh, with some really impressive chefs here in Adelaide, uh, one of whom has just uh, become a Christian through the ministry of Engage Work Faith uh, in recent years. So let's rally uh, to that. Fourth, and this is like the biggest point by far I want to make, is that as we think through the mission God has given us, please do pray and have a passion for our youth. They are at the front line of this world that's pushing forward into this kind of third era as described before, that is rejecting sort of the grand narratives of life, including Jesus. And this world 
technologically enabled is bombarding them 24-7 with dazzling images and videos of pretty much whatever they want to do. Uh, They can find someone who, you know, through advertising or some other way is making a lot of money of telling them uh, how to live. And curriculums that are discipling them to reject sacrifice for Jesus or anything else and instead embrace themselves and glory now. As I said, read a good book like Being the Bad Guys so you'll understand really well the challenges they're facing. Investing in them isn't just a good thing to do, it's absolutely critical for the mission. So love our youth, pray for them. Pray for youth life like so many have. It's wonderful as a pastor to get so many messages and bits of feedback and people taking a real interest and saying, I've been praying for that. God has been very kind to us so far and we'd love a great finish today because this is not a minimum effective dose area of church life. For those who've been around for a little while, as we shared our vision late last year coming into this year, uh, we'd love to make a, a good investment Uh, in our youth uh, through people and uh, next year to start an evening service over at Tonsley uh, to kind of try and smooth that transition from youth uh, into young adulthood and really invest in that generation well. And I must say, um, and this is, again, don't take this uh, as a beat-up comment, uh, but it actually has been quite hard as as a pastor who'd been cultivating some relationships for people who I thought could lead that ministry well to have to say, no, sorry, we can't put you on next year to do that because of the situation we're in. So as I said, that's not a beat-up comment financially. I get it. Our household's felt it. Yours has. But it's more I'd love you to kind of own the issue that we're trying to solve together to actually make a really great investment in our youth and young adults as we press in together. I can't quite see it yet, but I feel like a, uh, a plan is forming. And to be honest, I'll be stuffed if we don't give it everything to really make a great investment together as a church into our youth and young adults. I've been really impressed by the quality of the, uh, the questions uh, that have come through at Youth Life. I've been really impressed at their boldness in tricky times as a teenager to invite their friends along to hear about Jesus. So as a church, we really want to resource ministry to them with our time and with our finances. Because I suspect many years from now, we'll be surprised at what Jesus can do with just a handful of faithful youth. And finally, as opposition to the gospel rises and Christianity sort of slowly moves to the persecuted margins once more, where it's generally lived throughout time and in generally most parts of the world, but as, that, as we feel that baton of suffering long held by the church passed to us, because of who Jesus is, Lord of all, most wonderful saviour, leader of the mission as he builds his church today, hold firmly to the word of life, God's word, because in doing so, we can together find the strength to simply refuse to be intimidated. We can refuse to feel scared. We can be unsurprised when trials come. We can refuse to be angry at the world like so many Christians become when threatened. We can just refuse it. Instead, we can have that quiet, humble grace that's clear, that keeps the faith, proclaims the gospel 
and actually loves our enemies. Let Philippians 1.27 be true of this church. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that in your great kindness, uh, you call us uh, to partner with you and to be on mission with you as Jesus builds his church in the word today. Lord, as uh, we feel rising uncertainty and opposition to this, please give us the grace and the confidence and the trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we cling to him and have the grace to hold out this good news about him to a world that desperately needs it. In Jesus' precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.